For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that's 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days, and boy, have we seen a lot of it over the last week. Um, but before we begin, I'll remind you that that we are on social media, Twitter and Facebook as at No Nonsense Pod. Go and follow us on both of those platforms. Also, be sure to follow or subscribe to the show, whichever applies to the platform that you're listening on. And especially, though, if you're listening on iTunes, we would love for you to leave us a rating and review. We created this show, as we say in the intro every time, to stay away from being nonsense, from being stupid and, and just being dumb. And we have a lot of dumb and stupid nonsense to react to uh, this week. So so we're going to be doing that in this episode. If you're around the Titans on Twitter at all, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We're going to get into all the good stuff. We're talking Diana Rossini, Benjamin Albright, all the good stuff from this past week. But first, we are going to talk some, some, some real football. And we'll start with this, the Titans... Uh, played the Patriots in the preseason on Saturday night. They had two days of joint practices leading up to that. Will and Matias, what were your biggest takeaways from, I guess, that whole period of time? Uh, I thought Tannehill completely outplayed Mariota, and he yeah. should definitely be the start. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, honestly, I, I feel pretty good about the Titans preseason so far. I think the starters have looked pretty good, and a lot of a lot of maybe lesser-known it started to show out um, a couple of defensive linemen, Matt Dickerson. I think that I think his first name's Matt and uh, Isaiah Mack. They've been playing really well these first two two games, and, and particularly in this last one. And I'm pretty for a team that has kind of struggled with defensive line depth 
and, and we kind of have question marks. It, it, the, them coming through in this preseason has been has been really good to see. And also, uh, Jeremy McNichols has been fantastic, both in the first week and especially this week. He should have had two touchdowns. One of them got called back that shouldn't have been called back. It looked really elusive. And it looks like he's finally put his athletic profile to good use and, and is translating onto the field. So that's been awesome to see. I remember you, before the first preseason game, you said you want to see uh, one of the running backs, Alex Barnes or McNichols, uh, make a name for themselves. And, and yeah. I definitely think McNichols has done that. You're right, he has. Yeah, which is crazy because that's not who I would expected of the two of those to shine. But uh, I think, first of all, uh, his first name is Richard, so it's Richard Dickerson. That's not true. That's not true. Just would be that that would just be really funny if his name is Dick Dickerson. Um, but uh, so for me, the biggest takeaway is that we are all just sitting on this Taewon Taylor roller coaster. Like it's not not a good game at all. Then two by all accounts outstanding practices. Then completely disappears for seventy five percent of the preseason game, and then has a big catch. And it's like, you know. I guess I guess our problem the whole time has been consistency with Taiwan, but man, like it, it's it's never been this much variance. Where one day he's beating you know starting corners for the Patriots, the most probably the most well coached team in the NFL based on everything Belichick's ever done, and then other times he just can't like there the first pass to him in the preseason game was him short arming a pass because he wasn't sure if it was supposed to go to him or not when it clearly was and he kind of pulled up and didn't run under it it was really weird um then isaiah max been great like i mean if we're going from biggest takeaways it's that you know i don't think we have a great idea of who the backup defensive tackles are going to be right now but dickerson and isaiah mack are going to be either like high on the list or are going to be players that if they get cut, it's going to be a big shot. Be like an Aaron Stinney getting kept for Deontay Burnett being cut level shock. I want to yeah, stay- I would like to see. Go ahead. Uh, I, no, no, just Taewon had, it, it was a really tough catch, but Tannehill threw him a deep ball and, and um, he got hit as soon as, while he was diving to catch the ball. I think if he would have reeled that one in, that would have been really good for his confidence and, I don't know what we what kind of conversation we'd be having about him, but I think uh, he's been kind of undone by Darius Jennings has been really good this preseason. He's made a lot of tough catches in traffic, and I think he. I mean, I I don't know what's going to happen with Tajay. They they still seem to have confidence in him, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Jennings running as the fourth receiver ahead of both Tajay and Taewon come come the regular season. Yeah, there, there's a lot to take a, to kind of pick a part of what you guys just talked about, and I want to get into. Really, both of the topics you addressed, the receivers first and then the defensive linemen. Will, you nailed it. Taewon has done a great job, both in practice and in, I thought, Saturday night's game, of responding to the utter disaster that he put on the field against the Eagles in the Titans preseason opener. He, he's responded well. He's doing things to build his confidence up, and he has a sense of urgency about it. He, he realizes that he's not a lock necessarily to make this team, even though I still think he's going to make the team. It's far from being a lock, and he's done a good job 
of getting back up after being knocked down pretty hard. And, and Matias, you nailed it with Jennings. This coaching staff loves Darius Jennings. Mike Vrabel has spoken very highly of him, and he has had a really nice camp and preseason, especially with guys like A.J. Brown being out and with Taewon Taylor struggling. He's stepped in and, and just done his job really well. And on that note, you know, we've talked about the front-line guys for the Titans being perhaps as good as they've ever been with Davis and Humphreys and uh, and A.J. Brown eventually sliding in as the number two. But I think that the Titans' depth at receiver is probably as good as it's ever been, too. I, I think so, too. There are a lot of guys that you could have confidence in if you put them out there. And, yeah, I, I'm interested interested to see what happens in the regular season if everyone is healthy and out there because I think a lot of these – uh, lesser, not lesser, but like these role players, I think they could get a lot of opportunities and get a, a lot of these one-on-one matchups that they can take advantage of. And I'm interested to see if Darius Jennings or Taewon can do that, or even someone like Ferkser, Anthony Ferkser, who has been great whenever he's been on the field, and he looks like a legitimate mismatch weapon uh, as a receiver. So I think he's a guy that, that should have a, a pretty decent role in this offense, especially when, when you have Delaney, Corey Davis, Adam Humphreys, A.J. Brown taking other defenders away from him, and he he give him a lot of good one-on-one matchups that, that Arthur Smith could probably take advantage of. Yeah, I mean, if your number one wide receiver off the bench is Darius Jennings, your best tight end off the bench is Anthony Ferkser, and your best running backs off the bench are Deion Lewis and McNichols, I mean, you're in a pretty good spot. Like, they've all shown up really well in camp. So it's definitely the deepest they've been across all three of those positions. And, you know, it's it's weird because it's preseason. I don't want to sound like we're pumping these guys up. But, I mean – all three of those guys feel like they should be starting somewhere in the NFL, at least in a in a role that fits what they can do. Uh, McNichols, especially, who's looked you know outstanding when there's yards in front of him, when he has to earn them himself, when he has to see cutback lanes. So, yeah, I mean, just in terms of the top end and the depth of the weapons that Mariota and the rest of the offense have around him, I mean, it's it's pretty easily the best we've seen in Tennessee in I mean a decade longer. I, I can't think of another time they've had this many weapons. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to bring up too, as I mentioned, the defensive line stuff, because that was what I uh, what I wrote about after Saturday's game was how both Daquan Jones and Matt Dickerson have really stepped up their game. And a lot of times, people will ask Mike Vrabel about uh, you know a specific player because they're writing a story about it, or maybe it's a TV person and their their hit for the night is is that player. And a lot of times Vrabel will shrug it off, you know, if I said, you know, how's, I don't know, how's Jarrell Casey doing, maybe. That's a bad example because he's so good. But, I mean, he, he, might, he might just say, well, you know, Jarrell's doing what, what everyone else is doing. You know, we've got a great team. And he might just talk about the team. But the other day Vrabel was asked, have Austin Johnson and, and Daquan Jones taken steps forward from last year? And Vrabel immediately, he interrupted whoever was asking the question. He said they are much improved from last year. And I get that too. And one thing that was interesting in talking to Daquan Jones after the game was he reminded me that last year they asked him to play a lot of outside-the-guard technique when that's not what he is. And he said this year getting to play some nose and getting to play a lot more one technique he said he's more comfortable in himself 
And that's aside from the other improvements he's made with working on technique and getting stronger and those kinds of things. And Dickerson's the same way. You know, he's going into year two in this system. He told me it's, it's a lot less thinking and more – it's less thinking of what am I supposed to do in terms of the play and my assignment and more of, okay, what am I supposed to do with my hands? What am I supposed to do with my feet? Where's my pad level need to be? And so I agree, and I think that, that both of those guys, but Daquan Jones especially, who was very disappointing in his first year of a new contract, I think they're both trending in the right direction. Yeah, I, Daquan has looked really good in this preseason, and I wonder what uh, the injury, uh, if the injury affected him at all last year, uh, coming back from, I think it was a torn bicep or, or tricep or something like that. So I wonder if that affected him. And, you know, sometimes when you get a new contract, a lot of players, I, I, I'm not going to say he, he like took plays off, but uh, sometimes, you know, things change, circumstances change, and you don't play the same way as before. But it, it looks like he, he's come out and really dedicated himself to to just being better than last year. And that's really big for this defensive line, especially once we get Jeffrey Simmons back. Uh, if you get a starting three of Simmons, Daquan Jones, and Jarrell Casey, that is just a really talented group and a really versatile group because all three are able to play various positions along the defensive line. So that's really exciting. And that that's the thing. I think a lot of these defensive linemen that we have – they can play all along the defensive line. They're, they're really athletic. They're really versatile, especially Dickerson. I, I think you pu- you could put him anywhere, really. So I, I'm excited. Honestly, I went into this into this season very concerned about the defensive line depth. And, and given the injuries to, to Casey and Simmons, uh, I was getting genuinely concerned about what it would be during the regular season. But this preseason has kind of given me a little more confidence going into week one. Yeah, I mean – I, I I think my opinion on the edge depth and the defensive tackle depth have have switched because I was a lot more confident in guys like you know Roberson and Walker who's on injured reserve now than I was about guys like Isaiah Mack who I thought had no chance to make the team or you know DeQuan Jones who I was very down on so I mean they they've definitely been impressive uh, it'll be really interesting to see who plays on the front defensive line, whether they run a four-man front or if they go more with more of that heavy look that they've been using uh, against the Steelers just because that's such a good offensive line. You really want to have your best guys out there. But, you know, it, I don't want to diminish what they've done now, but it's been mostly against backups. If they can come out and guys like Jarrell Casey and Daquan Jones and, you know, all, all the guys we presume will play – more than a handful of snaps for the team throughout the course of the season. If they can all come out and make an impact against that defensive line with the Castro and all those guys, it would be very reassuring. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a good point to be made too is in us saying that, that Daquan Jones is improved, we're not saying that he's going to go out there and get 10 sacks. That's not who he is. He's not a pass rusher. No. But I think what we will look for him, something maybe less quantifiable and more qualifiable, is just him to be disruptive. Because he was, prior to the injury that you mentioned, Matias, back in 2017. But in 2018, I can't remember one thing that he did. And so you got to look for him to be disruptive at times. And that's what you look for more than you know, getting sacks, because that's not who he is. That's what Casey is. 
Yeah, right. But in 2017, over the the, the last couple of weeks before he got injured, he started to, to flash a little bit of that pass rush ability. But we didn't see it at all last year. So, yeah, I, I wonder if the if their injury did affect him. Uh, and we'll see how he does this year. But, yeah, I, I, I do like him as the as a nose tackle. I think that's what he played at, at Penn State. And I think that's probably where he's more comfortable. Uh, he had a play uh, on Saturday night where he got double teamed. He completely shed off both blockers. And he made a tackle, I think, maybe three yards past the line of scrimmage uh, on a running play. So that was that was really good to see. And I'm excited to see. Uh, how, how he plays. I, oh God, uh, Austin Johnson just, he's not very good, is he? So no, no. I don't, we cannot count on him for, for anything at this point. I, I think yeah, he's still uh, a lot to make the roster, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it, I, it's not that he's terrible, but well, he just, is he terrible? I'm I mean, not it's, sure. okay. so it's not, it's not like he's, but like a lot of the times you'll see a pile and he'll be at the bottom of it and not in a way where it's like he's getting double teamed off the ball where it's like the center comes back and blocks or something and he just doesn't hold the point of attack or anything. And there, I mean, there's times when Daquan Jones is two or three yards down the field, but it's usually because he's getting double teamed and like like the play you're talking about, like there's a play where, you know, it was a pitch to the offense's left side. And he makes the play from nose guard all the way to like way outside the C gap. Like, I mean, he covers, you know, essentially half the field, which on a pitch play like that, very rarely can anybody on the backside or heads up with a center ever make that play. It it takes uh, additional help from the run defenders on the outside. And Logan Ryan, I think, was the one who came down and set the edge. And then it made the running back cut back inside. And Daquan Jones was there and made a great tackle. So, I mean, he's showing effort. He's definitely doing better. But the more magnified, or I guess the more I focus on him, the more I see Austin Johnson not really showing up. And it's it's stuff like this that makes me not really listen to what like Vrabel has to say when he talks about people in groups because he also talked about Corey Levin like this and I, I don't want to jump in on this but um he, he praises guys in bunches so he'll take a guy who's doing really well and a guy who he wants to see well and he'll say that they're both doing well or at least that's what it seems to look like that's what it sounds like um I'm really interested to see like how these guys do because I mean it's not like these guys are showing up in practice and it's just not working out for them and on game days it's like he'll shout out guys sometimes who must be working hard and doing all the right things in practice and it's just not working yet and he just thinks they need mm-hmm. to keep trying to put it together but uh, I, i'm I'm st- starting to take his kind of uh praise for a couple of guys with the grain of salt which <laughs> i mean he's got to spend every day with these guys at training camp it's hard to know these guys families and you know their hopes and dreams and all that. And then them try on the field and just not be able to come up with a win and just to kind of downplay him in, in front of the media. So I don't fault him for any of that, but it's one of those things where when he says Daquan Jones has improved, I can point to a play and say, yeah, like right there, he's definitely better than he was last year. I just haven't had that chance yet with Austin Johnson. Wasn't it good to see Delaney out there catching a touchdown Saturday night? Ooh. That was awesome. He looked like he hasn't missed a beat at all. Yeah, that was awesome. Good. It, and he's, he's what thirty five right now. Doesn't even matter. His ankle's one year matter. old. Yeah, his his ankle's <laughs> a newborn. <laughs> I mean, he he looks great. Like at the the scariest moment I had was when I watched the replay and realized how close Delaney Walker was to hitting the goalpost. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh man. I was like, it's one of those things where you're like, I can just imagine like if you know it was an unlucky year for the Titans that he just eats it there and like is on. 
I'm surprised it hasn't happened before, honestly. Because that goalpost is really close. You remember the play, uh, I guess this, I think it was Pittsburgh and uh, Tampa Bay and Tampa Bay, where like the DB ran straight into the wall going full speed? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always kind of wondered that that why how that hasn't happened at Nissan because it is a little close. Yeah, like all that stuff. I mean, you'll see it, and it'll happen to one person every year. They'll get like a serious injury. Like McCown, like ran out of bounds one time and hit the wall, or, or like slipped and like tore his ACL or something. And then, I mean, you get guys who do. I mean, Mike Williams uh, for the Chargers, who we always talk about how much I'm a fan of. Uh, I think he broke his uh, neck like on. A goalpost or something, if I'm not in college. Yeah, in college, like as a sophomore. Like, and so it's like, I mean, when I say like, oh, like it would have been embarrassing, like, not like it would have been like, like on like the not top 10 or whatever. It's like he would have been injured and like his career could have ended because, you know, he went a little bit too far outside in the preseason. I mean, it. It's lucky that it happened the way it did, but just focusing on the positives, I mean, he looks good. I mean, Delaney Walker looks like Delaney Walker. He doesn't look any slower. It looks like he's making the same kind of cuts. You know, he adjusted to that ball on third down and, you know, moved the chains and really got everything going for that scoring drive. So, I mean, cautiously optimistic one preseason game, but it's it's really nice to see how comfortable he looks with Delaney Walker out there. Yeah, him and Mariota are just like – so comfortable with each other they have such good chemistry and i I think a lot of people don't realize how important he really is to this offense and and it's probably a huge reason why mariota didn't look like himself for a lot of a lot of last year even though a a, a bunch of it was due to the injury as well but i think him back is going to be is is going to be huge for mariota I remember. I remember last year when I was writing the uh, the feature that I did on Mariota's like unique leadership and how he's not a loud guy like Brady. I remember I kept thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not going to get to talk to Delaney for this story because he's not in the locker room and he's hurt. Well, there was this one day that that all the reporters were in the locker room and there just wasn't that many of us. There was, I think, uh, Terry McCormick, Eric Backrack, and uh, Teron Davenport were the only other people there. And I walk in, I'm you know walking around, I think I said something to Tajay, and I turn around, and Delaney had just come in with a boot. And I just sat there and talked to Delaney for probably 10 minutes for this story. And, and he was just gold for talking about Mariota and how much he loves Mariota. And like you said, Matias, there's been no one, other than maybe Rashard Matthews, honestly, is the closest, who Mariota has had just that level of comfort like a, a Tom Brady to Gronkowski, a Peyton Manning to Demarius Thomas, where it's a, an Aaron Rodgers to Jordy Nelson, where I'm going to put the ball here, and you know I'm going to put the ball here, and I trust that you're going to be there because you are going to be there. Yeah, it, and that's a good point. I think I, I saw a video of Delaney talking about uh, Mariota flipping it in the end zone and, and that he came up to him after the after the, the play and he was like, don't do that, <laughs> you know? Uh, so there's definitely a level of, of personal comfort between them that, that I think maybe transcends football, but it also does translate to the field. Uh, and I agree. I, I remember, uh, I, I don't know if it was last year or maybe the year before. Oh, no, it was the year before because Delaney was injured last year. But there was one throw that Mario. Mariota made it. It was unbelievable. Uh, he dropped it in between like three Colts the defenders. Game? To, oh, no, I know no, what you're no, talking about. The, <laughs> the deep yeah, ball. To Delaney. The deep yeah. ball. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Left side. 
Yeah. yeah, and he just threw it to a place where only Delaney could catch it, and Delaney caught up to it. And I, I think that's a pretty good uh, barometer of how uh, connected they are to each other uh, on the that, field. That was a heck of a throw. Like, that was a big boy oh, throw from Mariota. But yeah. the fact that Delaney Walker, who then was 33 years old and a tight end, outran, outran, outran three guys down the sideline. Was a spry yeah. 33. You're I right. mean, so, but like, talking about that, you know, all that says to me is there's like a supreme confidence between them, but it, it shows me that Mariota has clearly has the talent to do that. And when he trusts somebody and when he trusts that they're going to be there, I mean, how many times have we seen him miss Delaney Walker in his whole career? Maybe uh, five. There was one time, well, and it was that weird like rollout play where it was an interception and they both blamed it on themselves. Oh, he, yeah, yeah. And the they only were, thing I see, could I, think of. Yeah, like, and, and, and that was, was miscommunication the between the both of them. Left or something. Yeah, so it's like, I mean, and that's like on a scramble drill kind of thing, where it's like, you know, you're just kind of trying to feel where the defense is soft and you both miss it or whatever, whatever happened. But I mean, how, like, like we're talking about, how frequently does he miss him? Like, never. It, I mean, with, between Delaney Walker and Adam Humphreys, there should never be a moment where Mariota feels like there's somebody who he can't complete a quick pass to. So, I mean, it's it's hard to to really explain how important that is because instead of forcing a throw down the field to Cameron Batson, he can just say, "Okay, I'll take the throw on second and ten. I have a coordinator who won't, you know, call a run up the middle for negative one yard and put me in third and thirteen. It's like, okay." Now I've got third and six because I'm just going to go ahead and take this dump off to Delaney and just let him kind of settle down, sit and turn and get a few yards. And then we can reset and go like the the small the three yard catches are almost more impressive to me than the eight yard, 10 yard catches he's going to make. Yeah, something that that has me optimistic. Also, I feel like Mariota's trusting his receivers more to make plays in this preseason so far. Uh, we saw a little bit with Humphreys on uh, on a third down. He he threw it really early. Humphreys didn't catch it, but he put it in a spot where where only Humphreys could catch it, and, and he just assumed that that he would be in position to make the play. And then it, on Saturday night, he throws it up to AJ Brown in one on one coverage, and he draws a PI. Something that maybe in the past he'd be reluctant to do. Maybe you know because it, it's a little riskier of a pass, especially with him rolling out to his left. But I really like that, and I. I think I think it's setting up for him to be more loose this season throwing the ball and I think the whole offense is gonna is gonna benefit from it yeah and I mean even the the dropped pass to Corey Davis on the right side like he yeah. throws that ball into Corey I mean Corey Davis should have caught that and I think he does catch that you know nine times out of ten he just has always been a pretty decent contested catch receiver mm-hmm. so I mean, he's trusting these guys, and it's not like he's trusting them on slants where they have off coverage. I mean, he's trusting them when there's, like, man coverage, a guy breathing down their neck, and he said, I'm just going to trust you to take the ball away. And, you know, credit Humphreys and Delaney Walker because, you know, sometimes he trusts them and he doesn't put the ball in the right place, and, like, it's a hair behind them, or they, you know, they don't settle down like he thinks they're going to, and they still adjust and make the catch. It's, it's those things, you know— a quarterback having trust in the guys throwing the ball to and the pass catcher essentially saying, okay, even if he throws it behind me, I, we've locked eyes. And at this point that's my ball and I've got to get it. That's that, that kind of mentality prevents the Buffalo bills interception, uh, um, 
to Nick Williams or no the sorry the Philadelphia uh, Eagles interception to Nick Williams where he just kind of like let the guy come over the top of him and take the ball away. I mean, it prevents a lot of those small issues that go down as big negative plays. So I mean, it's it's very interesting, and I'll be I should say I'll be very interested to see how Adam Humphreys and Delaney Walker coexist because if they can do it well and figure out how to attack different parts of the field, that could be this weird combination of potent and secure. So it's super interesting to me. Last thing before we get into addressing some of the stupid takes that have been had over the last week or so, uh, a bit of news came out of Monday's Titans practice. That is that Derek Henry was back at practice. He participated in an individual capacity, limited, though Mike Vrabel did say uh, there is a chance that he plays Sunday night depending on how he gets through the week. Two questions. Number one, on a scale of 9 to 10, how good is this news? And number two, would you play Henry in the preseason? I'm interested to see what you guys say because I feel like me, someone who hates the preseason, I feel like my take on this is a bit more nuanced than I would usually get. So it's definitely a 10 on a scale of 9 to 10 because, um, I don't know, man. I was I was watching, I was rewatching the game today, and every Deion Lewis carry just kind of, I don't know. I, I don't really like him at this point. I'm, I'm that sorry. catch was dope. The catch was dope, but yeah. every time I have to watch him run between the tackles, it's, I don't know. I, it just makes me miss Derrick Henry. Uh, although McNichols looked good, but I, I really think Derrick Henry's gonna gonna feast in this offense. There are just so many weapons, and, and the offensive line looks looks better than than last year. Even though the right guard situation is giving me severe heart palpitations, but uh, I, I think he's gonna have a really big year as long as he stays healthy. And uh, what was that? Would I play him in the preseason? Mm-hmm. I, I I think I I answered this a couple weeks ago, and I said I wouldn't even risk him. But I kind of want to see him get a couple snaps in. <laughs> I kind of want to see at least like one series. Just for him to get maybe, I don't know. Actually, no. I don't need to see him. He's fine. Yeah, I mean, it, that, that's a really good question. I, I'm 10. I'm obviously excited he's back. Um, but that is a really good question because, and I, I wrote this at the time when he got injured. I said, I, like, or once the injury news came out that Adam Schefter broke kind of what it was. And it's like, I know in week three, I'm going to want to see Derrick Henry if he's able to play. But that's that. But logic says you don't need to see it. I mean, he's how many carries has he taken in the NFL? How many times has he come off the bench cold into the middle of a game where DeMarco Murray was starting and he made, you know, three runs in a row, eight or three for 24 yards on that weird read option the Titans used to do? And I say weird, it was really effective. Um, so I, I guess, like, my brain thinking about it now – I don't want to see him play. Um, when I'm sitting in the stands, I'm definitely going to want to see him play. But just because right. I, I don't I, – I guess I just don't want an excuse. Like I want to see the Titans ones versus the Steelers ones with some game plan and you know real execution. Like I want a good look at what this offense can be. And I know that if Derrick Henry doesn't play and Jeremy McNichols or Deion Lewis run the ball and there's – you know. There's a giant hole because there have been some massive holes that the offensive line has created, especially cutback lanes because Saffold got up really quick uh, this past week. But if there's a guy, if there's eight yards of grass in front of you and you get tackled after eight yards, 
I know that Derrick Henry wouldn't. And this, like, you know, if, if you've listened to us with the Titans House podcast, you know that we none of us have all have ever been like big, just biased guys towards Derrick Henry. There are clear yeah. flaws in his game. But if you give him three yards of momentum to where he can really start and he can see a big play in front of him, you will not take him down with one person. I don't care if that person is Luke Keekley. I don't care if that person is Kevin Byard. I don't care who you've got. He's too he's too much of a human. Like he's two hundred fifty pounds at six three that runs faster than anybody else. Like you can't take him down by yourself if he wants to go somewhere. Yeah. So, you know, I don't I don't wanna see him until I get mad that the you know the Titans are down ten to thirteen at halftime and I'm gonna have to hear about, you know, 10 dumb excuses on why they're there. And the real one is, you know, Derrick Henry would have, you know, turned that into a touchdown. But I mean, so I guess, I guess the short answer is, you know, no, I don't want to see him, but yeah, I do. I do want to see him. And here's why Derrick Henry, perhaps more honestly than any other running back in the NFL is a rhythm runner. If he's not in a rhythm, he's pretty worthless, right? We saw that weeks one through seven of last year. But once he got into a rhythm, once he got out of his own head, once he was comfortable, he was a consistently dominant running back. And so I say let him play the game, give him four or five carries, let him kind of start to get that rhythm so that it's not cold turkey week one. And then maybe week one he gets 15 carries and he picks up a little bit of that rhythm. But that's what I would look for with Derrick Henry is I just think he's a rhythm player and anything you can do to get him in a rhythm before the season starts, uh, I think would be beneficial. So, so let's hop in to talking about some of these these bad, bad Titans takes. Because we end every show with a segment called Stop the Nonsense, where we share our uh, favorite bad Titans take from the week. But we are 35 minutes into an hour show. And we've got so much to deal with that we're just going to take the rest of the show to talk about them. Um, So I will present the first one that I think was probably the one that started this snowballing of bad Mariota versus Tannehill takes, right? Because we know it's not a competition. So Deanna Rossini of ESPN goes on the air and says this. There's a tone in Tennessee right now that this coaching staff just wants a quarterback to go out there and be the best quarterback there. Meaning, it is not a lock that this is Marcus Mariota's job. Matias, take over. Yo, what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) To be the best quarterback there? I don't even know what that means. They want, there's a, not even, it's not even that they want someone to be the best quarterback there, which, like logically speaking, there someone is always going to be the best quarterback there. Right. I mean, if you have yeah. Rusty Smith and Luke Falk, one of them is going to be the best quarterback there. But it's not even that they want that. It's there's a tone that they want that. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely tell the tone from <laughs> from Bristol, Connecticut. I don't know. Man. You can just feel that Tennessee tone rising northern. Uh, this so, is a doozy. I did not realize that was that good. Wow. Yeah, like. When you listen to it with all, you know, the perspective and context we have now, it's such a weird thing to say because it's like if you want to give a real honest like take based off something you you've heard, you can say you have, you know, so and so sources like I have a former player that I talked to 
they said this. Okay, that's that's pretty credible. Underneath that is anonymous sources. When you're like, ah, like it's probably the player's agent that's leaking this out. Underneath that is a tone because it's like, yes. all you're saying is, well, all, like when you look at that quote, all it says is they probably want to play their best quarterback. Yeah, like I, I can tell you that at every position. That, I mean, there's a tone that the New England Patriots want to play their best quarterback. Right. Everybody in the NFL wants to play the best players. Like, it, 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 to, to say that shows either a lack of confidence in what you're saying, which is probably what it is, or lack of understanding of what the platitudes you're going to hear from coaches are. You know, because I'm sure there's a quote out there where somebody asked Mike Vrabel something and he said, you know, we're going to let the best players play and we're going to let them compete. And, you know, at the end of the day, our job is to win football games and whoever gives us the best chance to do that is is going to be on the field. I'm sure he said that. And you can take that quote out of context and manipulate it however you want. But to say it like that, based on, you know, nothing is it's such it it's not irresponsible i guess because it ultimately doesn't matter it's just a dumb thing to try to like quote unquote report yeah i mean i don't doubt that that she has sources in nashville because like she's a pretty good reporter she, she's been right about a lot of things but the way she says that the the tone thing is i don't know it comes across a little i don't know how to say it like it's insecure, insecure in what you're saying yeah. maybe yeah like you, you're not fully confident in that yeah. And, and, and we'll talk more about sort of the, the journalism aspect of all of this once we get to Albright, because I have some, some words on, on him. Cool. But, um, I, yeah, when you say there's a tone of this, it, right, it's a limiting modifier. It limits the effect of whatever it is that you're describing. I mean, that's just the basic English language. It's the same if I say I'm kind of hot versus I'm hot. Like okay. one, <laughs> right. y- you know? <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. True. You're, that's yeah. You're you're just what and the design of that is you're just trying to cushion the blow because you know you're going to get pushback from this because you're saying something that's probably not true, right? Or like and, when 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 they say like there's optimism that this player might have avoided this catastrophic injury, and then two days later is like, oh, he tore it. So it's <laughs> it, what it really sounds like, and I'll, I'll let you get back to your point after this. Look, is it really sounds like she talked to Tannehill's agent and he said. You know, I don't know. They're telling him that, you know, if he gives them the best chance to win, at some point they might play him. Like that and and she's like, "Okay, like how can I report that?" And it's like it, even the biased information you're getting is like and that's already tainted with, you know, wh- whatever pre preconceived notions. It's like you even want to get farther away from that because you have to assume that it's not true. It's just I just, go ahead, Luke. I, I'm just ranting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you guys are just saying exactly what I was going to say. And I think it is important to note here, because I've had several people tell me the same thing that you just mentioned, Matias. Deanna Rossini is a good reporter. Like, we're not here to besmear, besmeech, whatever the word is, her, her, her like, journalism career. This isn't an incorrection. This is just something odd. I, I think one of you used that word. It, it's just strange. And I'm sure she has a source within the organization, whether that's, you know, from all the way up top and John Robinson or, or from someone, you know, below him. But this probably went along the lines of she called that source or, or texted that source and said, give me the scoop on Mario to Tannehill. Is it a thing? And that source probably said, Marcus is the guy, but we will, you know, start whoever we feel has 
chance to give us a win. The classic coach speak answer. Right. She probably took that and ran with it to say there's a tone that they want the best there to be a best quarterback. You know? Yeah. I mean, do, do we think that she uh, – I'm, I'm just trying to figure out why she would think that that's something worth reporting. hear that 32 because, times, right? Because like, it's, a, it's a national story. It's actually like a talking point. Yeah, when has she ever Mar- talked about the Titans? She because has never people, talked about the Titans before. Well, the answer to that, I think, Will, is people know who Marcus Mariota is and people know who Ryan Tannehill is. They've been two starting quarterbacks in the NFL, both first-round draft picks. Uh, Tannehill was with the Dolphins for you know five, six seasons. He's someone that people know. And Mariota is a Heisman Trophy winner. So I think that's why the story got reported. It's because you know of all Titans players, those are two of the most recognizable. Yeah, I mean, okay, so I, that that all makes sense to me, especially the fact that Tannehill's got name value and he's just coming from a big city and he was a really interesting story. But at the same time, it's like who benefits from this getting out? Like who who it, who's the target audience for this rumor? Like who's pushing for Tannehill and is yes, really wants? I guess I guess that's true. I mean, I guess we should just move on because you know there's like, so many. Yeah, there's like so there's there's a lot to get to. So the next, the next one that I want to talk about uh, of these reports, and the one that I think is the most ludicrous of all of this, is Benjamin Albright. He's a guy that, when the three of us started podcasting over two years ago, I, th- I think we all had a pretty positive opinion of him. W- would you guys disagree mm-hmm. with that? No, I agree. I, I would say I was, I was pretty clearly the. Uh... You no, like not, the most, for yeah, sure. I, I think he's I think he's very interesting. And I think a lot of what he's said in the past has, you know, connected. But he's shifted more towards like a team like he's he's with the Broncos now instead of covering everybody. So I think he's gotten a little bit less um, nationally diverse, I guess, since that. And it's hadn't been as good content. Well, so so the, this all got started with him. He tweets out on uh August the 9th, so 10 days ago from today, he said, I'd like to see Tannehill get more time with the ones for Tennessee. I think he gives them a better opportunity to win games if he's healthy, and that has nothing to do with last night. I have no problem with that tweet. That is a perfectly reasonable take. I don't agree with it, but it's reasonable. Mm -hmm. So then some Titans fans start getting at him saying, you know, I, I don't know about that. Maybe Mariota is actually the guy. It's not really a competition, and I don't think it's ever going to head in that direction. Well, if this dude doesn't start doubling down to the degree of we're going from a take to borderlining a report of some kind. Like, there's a difference between me saying, you know, uh, Derrick Henry needs to play this week, and then me saying, per source, Derrick Henry will play this week. He started, like, going from the first one of those to the other one of those with this situation. And there was lots of back and forth, some weird stuff between him and and Jimmy Morris of Music City Miracles, who apparently talked on the phone with each other at some point in this discussion. Yeah. But but here's here's the one that got me. When he tweets out, you know, some Titans fan was like, there's not a competition. And he says, well, then tell your coach and GM to quit calling me about it. Yeah. What? I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, it's uh, – oh, okay, L- let me say it first. Wait, but didn't so, he – wasn't it that, like, during the draft process, he was like, the yes. Titans are the toughest team to crack? So I actually, I actually tweeted at him and said that. I said, you know, 
uh, are I said you said you've said before that the Titans are one of the most hard one of the hardest teams in the NFL to get information from. And he responded and he said, uh, "Yeah, that's true when it comes to draft and free agency and that kind of stuff." So just eliminating you know what we know it's like okay if their front office is tight this must mean that it's coming from coaches right like that's just like me reading the tea leaves there so you know it it, like so i guess if we're you know this is not technically what he said but if we're kind of putting the pieces together he has a source inside that's a coach that he doesn't want to out so he said you know instead of saying tell your coach to quit calling me like he said, you know, he, he generalized it. And so if I'm doing work and trying to legitimize this, he's saying that he has somebody on the coaching staff who's uh, I'm, I, I wouldn't even say well, high and, enough. And it's not even it. just someone on the coaching staff. He, he called out John Robinson. He said the GM, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's like that. That part. It, well, OK, here, here's what I'm saying is I'm saying that like part of it, like maybe true but the way he came out like and this is just me defending benjamin albright like not not that he needs me to defend him or anything i just have historically enjoyed his content so i guess i'm doing work for him but that is an outright lie like to say that the gm and the coaches are calling him and i it's people have made fun of it to death because it's it's ridiculous of course that didn't happen like and and you know I don't know if we've already said that but he's deleted the tweet so oh that's the one he deleted okay I yeah was, I was so, wondering which one he deleted yeah so you know and there's screenshots of it like you know so it's it, it's kind of is what it is but I think that was him replying to somebody the uh, professor charisma what, what's that person's name they've uh, they've got some oh captain algebra i think is what it is which is neither <laughs> of the words i said before uh all right he's like not talking english in the tweet no it's like it's he uh it, it, i'm getting too far down a rabbit hole i think he uh didn't expect it to pick up like it did and it started picking up and he like had to delete the tweet because he was like oh no like i'm gonna get caught and too late he didn't under uh, he underestimated how petty the titans fan base is and i'm proud of y'all for that because i am as petty as it comes so i mean he kept it's like he got backed into a corner and he was like eventually i'll say something enough to where they'll just stop asking me and that's not what happened so i mean it's it's just deceitful. it's not just titans fans by the way he's no. gotten it from like every fan base this week yeah yeah for sure. yeah and it's, it's, it's been a bad week for my boy yeah, <laughs> really bad check week. out his timeline he's had a rough week so he, here's I mean, here's to prove to people that he was actually a veteran and stuff i i don't know man yeah it got a little out of hand yeah. Here, here's what i will say about benjamin albright first i want to thank him for his service because he is a, a veteran now let's get to his journalism career um is Benjamin Albright a journalist? I did. Because didn't I asked you guys recently, like, what does he do? Because I well, well, his no main job, he's been a radio host in Denver for years. He, yeah, he's always had a right, show right. in Denver. People think that he just got a job, but he just got a new job. He got a new job with iHeartRadio. But he's been a radio oh, host what? in Denver for years. He's covered the Broncos for years. But I, I consider him a journalist in what he does with the Denver Broncos. He's there on a mostly daily basis. He's in the building. He's talking to the, the the coaching staff, just like the local guys here in Nashville do. But where he's not a journalist, I don't think, is with this national insider stuff. And here's why I say that. 
Benjamin Albright, to my knowledge, has never broken a story. He has reported rumors. He has said, I've been hearing. He's said, there, you know, there's, there's a tone to go back to Diana Rossini. <laughs> but he's never come out and said, you know, breaking. Titans quarterback Mariota involved in a crime ring. You know, he's never had the story. It's always been, and, you know, he'll go back and, like, retweet himself after a story breaks. So he's like, see, I was on it first. But here's the problem with that from a from a journalistic standpoint. And, and you guys are both sports writers, too, so you understand this. What Benjamin Albright does is the equivalent of, you ask someone, are you dating this person? Are you two dating? And they say, oh, we're just talking. Or, oh, we're, we're just kind of fooling around. That's what he's doing journalistically. He's never dating his reports. He's never dating his stories. It's always they're just talking or he's just kind of fooling around with them. Because if he was actually that confident in his sources, then he would have been actually first on a lot of stuff. Then he would have had actual reports, and it wouldn't be this there's a tone, this I'm hearing nonsense. It would have been I'm reporting that this is the truth. He'd be Adam Schefter. Exactly. but And the reason that he's not Adam Schefter and the reason that he's not Ian Rappaport or Jay Glazer or any of these real insiders is that he has never been confident enough in his sources to move forward with that information. And that tells me one of two, a few things about him. Maybe, you know, maybe he's not confident in his sources. Maybe he doesn't have enough sources to be able to have some kind of journalistic integrity, which I respect that he's not out here, you know, left and right reporting stuff if he doesn't trust it, as he shouldn't. But you also should be able to see the difference as a fan on Twitter between him and a real news-breaking journalist like a Rappaport, a Schefter, or even locally like someone like a Koharski or someone that works with a newspaper. Does he ever, like in his tweets, does he ever say, sources say, or my sources are telling me? Yeah. Uh, that, I, I've, that heard, I've definitely heard that phrase from him, my sources are telling okay. me. Okay, because yeah. if he was just saying, like, I'm hearing or – like other other keywords like that, I I think it would be a little more sketchy. But I mean, it's, it's sketchy as is. I, I I don't follow him anymore. I just to be honest, I, I didn't love his tweets, and he tweets a lot about the Broncos, and I really don't care. <laughs> uh, but I mean, during during the draft season, I guess uh, he was he was an okay follow. But I, I I don't know, man. I feel like there are a lot of of his kind out in the world that you know they they come up with. A bunch of uh, sources, and, and and they have these tweets about things that might happen, and then they go back. Uh, in the future, they go back to it, and and then you know pat themselves on the back. And I don't, I don't, I don't like that, especially like you said, when you don't have the confidence in your sources or even in your own reporting abilities to uh, to, to stand stand firm on that. Well, here's here's why I've historically liked him is because I'm very if y'all know this, I'm very much into like football conspiracy theories. Like I don't know about aliens or ghosts or any of that weird stuff, but like football conspiracy theories on like why is that player missing, you know, week 17? Like why is this guy doing that? Why hadn't this guy practiced even though he's not injured? Like all that kind of stuff is super interesting to me. And when something happens like that, he usually has a take like he usually has something that. You know, he he's like uh, a guy who reports on the rumblings. Like if he has one guy who tells him something, he may tweet about it and he may just be like, hey, I'm hearing this. Like it could be 
from the backup kicker or like the practice squad guard or an agent or somebody who is in the stands. I don't know who his sources are. It's he's not a hundred percent accurate by any means, but it is always interesting to say like, okay, if I'm trying to put together a theory in my head and this guy says this, now it's more interesting and I can do that. Mm-hmm. So by that token, like he's kind of like a uh, black market, like rumors dealer. Like I, I don't, I don't necessarily. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, and so like you kind of have to take everything with a grain of salt and like, you've got to understand it's like, if you have a conspiracy theory that Ryan Tannehill is going to start at quarterback, he just gave you, you know, a little bit more thread to try to connect things. And, you know, this could be from his girlfriend who, you know, or wife, I guess now, who is like, you know, ever since we moved to Tennessee, Ryan's been talking about maybe starting and like one day he could start, you know, it could be like as tangential as that. And he could have, you know, said the thing about the starters and then got backed into a corner and panicked. And I think that that seems like what's likely and it doesn't make him right by any means. It, it's very clearly a lie. Like there, I mean, there's no reason for John Robinson or any coach on the staff to call him because it literally does nothing for them. Like exactly. all, all more, all the more, all more attention brings is more scrutiny and an impossible choice. Even if Mariota goes out and has five touchdown passes, if they lose week two, it doesn't matter. Like it's going to be like, what could Tannehill have done? So the less attention that you know, the people inside the building have on this, the better. So the idea that multiple people are trying to reach out to him to leak information is astounding. And and last thing I want to say about this, because we, we only have a few minutes left and, and we need to get to a couple of other things, is that several people in the Titans media core pointed out to me that even if John Robinson was calling his boy Ben Albright to about his problems, I guess – he wasn't doing it for him to put it on Twitter, and he certainly won't be doing it anymore if that was the case. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. yeah. If, he, if he had a source, he doesn't now. Exactly. Also, the thing that gets me is, like, how did all these national media people get this information, but the people who are actually covering the team, like Turon Davenport, don't say any of the same things about this quarterback competition? Please explain that to me. Yeah, like exactly. that's, that's the thing. It's like, either it's gonna like, be, if, if there's news broken about the Titans. Now, I can't say this about you know the, the Cowboys or the Packers. If there is news broken by the Titans, it's going to be one of three types. It's going to be one of two types of people. It's going to be the Schefter Rappaport type, like the National Insider, yeah. or it's going to be someone who has boots on the ground. Yeah. Notice yeah, but, that Schefter and Rappaport haven't said a single thing about this quarterback competition because it's right? not quantifiable. You cannot yeah, quantify think, a quarterback competition. AKA, yeah. it's not real. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, there is no end game. There's no result. Like, when when they will say something is if Mariota has a good game, they'll tweet out something snarky like, looks like there's no quarterback competition in Tennessee. Or Yeah, Rappaport would tweet that for yeah, sure. Like, basically burying whoever, like, reported that without reporting it because, like, they, they don't report. Or... Hey. He'll talk about how there, you know, it's like after that performance, I would look closely to see if the Titans consider a quarterback switch. And then that means that there is actually a report out there that like in the organization that maybe we need to try a different quarterback. And if so, I'll be at practice on Thursday. If if after practice on Thursday, I asked Mike Vrabel, I said, coach, are you ready to name a starting quarterback yet? Do you know the look that he would give me if I asked that question? (laughs) 
dude. I don't think you'd ever be able to ask another question. Yeah, he's terrifying. <laughs> um, so two two more things I want to hit on. Well, really just the one, actually. I was going to hit on this, this Ben Volin tweet that you guys sent me, but I don't know that there's really much to say there. He just doesn't understand logic, clearly. Um, yeah, he's just a liar. <laughs> I do want to talk about this Delaney thing uh, from, what's the guy's name, Chris Rowling? Rowling? Is that his oh, name? Oh, yeah. From Bleach yes. Report. So basically this dude, Chris Rowling, does a slideshow article where where he's going through all 32 NFL teams and he's saying who's the biggest name that, that might be cut. And for the Titans, he says that that is Delaney Walker. The reasons why, his salary, his age, and the development of Michael Pruitt. Okay, well, Delaney is 35, so he got that right. Delaney does make a lot of money, so that did get that right. But he missed two things. One, Delaney is still really, really good at football. And number two, Michael Pruitt caught, like, what, two passes last year, and he f- referred to that as, as his development. Oh, God. Yeah. But he, so. he, he, here's the thing I want to say about this. Um, the three of us have a lot of experience writing the type of articles that this is, That sli- the slideshow article. You know, maybe it's like, you know, five, you know, players who played well this week for the Titans in any kind of topic. As both of you well know, when you're writing that type of article, you can't force it. You can't say five Titans players who sucked this week if there weren't actually five Titans players that sucked this week, you know? And so his problem was that he set himself up for failure in writing that because there might not be a big name player who's in danger to get cut on every team right and there were what eight players on that list why why was there a need to even put delaney on it you could have absolutely found another player but i also find it funny that he wrote this yesterday i think it was published why would you write it after he catches a touchdown in the in the second preseason game against because i doubt he knew that yeah (laughs) all right you're you're right you're right Never seen a snap from the Titans. In la- or, or maybe he watched him last year and saw that he was hurt and was like, oh, look, I, I, I truly can't put together why Delaney Walker ended up on that list. It's like he was given the name Delaney Walker and I was like, do a story with these six names. And he was like, well, why don't they all get cut? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it just it, does, it doesn't make any sense. Um, even in and – and I tweeted this – even in an insane world where – the Titans decide they don't think that Delaney Walker, you know, is as good a fit on the team this year as he has been in the past because you can't say he's a bad player. So if if they think that they're better off without him than with him, it would take a second round pick or better. There, there's no way they're trading him or like there's no way they're cutting him, period. And to trade him, it would take a substantial asset because he is such a huge part of what they want to do. And every time he's on the field, he just seems to improve everybody's play. The, I mean, running backs run the ball better. Short yeah. passes are easier. Deep passes are more successful. Play action works like every time. So it, I, I don't know how much attention we have to like give this because it's such a crazy thing. It's, it's like uh, there was an article today about coaches on the hot seat, and Vrabel was like obviously not on the hot seat at all. It's like if they had said something about him being on the hot seat, it's oh just God. it's just kind of a quote that like allows you to immediately disregard the opinions of that person in the entire article and going forward. Yeah. Last thing about this Delaney thing: if we cut him, we would have to eat six million dollars in cap space. <laughs> So I didn't even look at it. So why would he bad. not even look at the contract? 
details yeah. right in this article man it's just it's just really well, bad he set himself up for failure in two ways he, he was writing a, he picked a bad topic that that was set up to have to make a reach like that and he was yeah. also writing about something that he did not know about two problems easily diagnosable yeah. uh that that's going to do it for us this week uh we hope you enjoyed the show if you have if you see bad Titans takes in the future, keep sending them to us with hashtag stop the nonsense. We'd love to, to, to divulge in, into all of that stuff. Uh, but next week we will be back to project the Titans final 53 man roster. It will be our last episode before the regular season starts. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Thanks again for listening for Willa Matias. I am Luke telling you and everyone else in the sports world to please stop the nonsense. Ohio ready for some quick mental health facts. Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.